Welcome to Beautiful Botswana, the travel podcast, where we aim to travel around Botswana and learn about this wonderful safari destination as we chat with experts, safari professionals and safari legends, as we share stories, recommendations and help you plan your Botswana holiday. For episode 10 of Beautiful Botswana is a couple who really are a power couple. It's really exciting to be interviewing two people together um, today. It's my first interview with multiple interviewees. And it's really great to interview a couple who are as dynamic as these two. Together, they've built two businesses. They built uh, started Safari Embassy in 2012, which is a travel agency. And then in 2016, they started their mobile safari, although... I don't know, you don't really fit in the mold of the traditional mobile safari, Connie, so I don't think that we can really call you a mobile, but the name of your business says everything, uh, Connie Adventure Safaris. Last year, uh, in 2020, Connie was um, joined Levison Wood in, with his Walking with Elephants documentary, which aired on Channel 4 on Animal Planet. And generally, all-round rock stars showing people how it should be done in the tourism industry and... Uh, Leading from the front. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce Kani and Kay Motswana. Welcome, Kani. Welcome, Kay. Thank, Thank you. you. So normally, you guys, I mean, you work together and you you obviously partners in life, partners in business. But normally, Kani's out in the bush all the time, Kay. How, how is this... Uh, tourism uh, sabbatical <laughs> and lack of business due to COVID affecting things that uh, he's he's now home? It's it's actually a wonderful thing to have him around at home. He's helping around with school runs. He's helping around in the garden. He's doing uh, almost all the uh, hands-on chores while I have time to rest. Okay, uh, as compared to when it was just me, I have to run around the whole day doing some errands for work, uh, doing school runs, and it was so hectic. So I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that he's home and we have time to just see each other and just be home with our kids. Yeah, that's so great. How's Mount Town Safari for you, Kani? It's nice to be with family. You know, I'm spending more time with my beautiful wife and my daughter and you know, lots of playing. She's very active, you know. So we are becoming good friends, you know, playing and I'm also enjoying my school runs. Well, one of the things I think that makes you guys such an interesting couple and you're, what's so interesting about your story is the fact that you were both born into an environment that people spend their lives trying to visit, but it was your backyard as children and it's where you grew up. So um, I think it's really, really awesome that you you, you grew up on the banks of the Okavango to all intents and purposes. So um, I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Kay, can you tell me a little bit about what your childhood was like? Uh, yes, Tessa. I grew, I was born in a village called Gunutsuka and that's where I grew up. It is a small village in the panhandle of the Okavango Delta. Uh, it's a small rural settlement with not so many people. I grew up in an extended family as a very humble child. I stayed with my aunties, my uncles, and the other siblings. So we grew out of plowing and rearing uh, cattle. So we, 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 we had lots of uh, milk. We had uh, lots of grown uh, veggies. We, we, we also did fishing. So that's, that's what we mostly relied on. We never had a life whereby we had to now and then buy food. And then, Connie, you come from Godigua, slightly further down the road, and the Godigua is, is you're from a different tribe, and your your methods of getting food were, are different from, from how Kay grew up. Can we chat a little bit about that? I'm a true Sen. Sen, in other words, we can say Bushman. I know most of the people don't like to hear the word Bushman, but... For me, I love the word Bushman because it describes our lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know. So, like we see, I grew up in a remote village up in the northern Botswana called Gudigwa. It's just on the edge of uh, Okavango Delta. So, 
I'm uh, I'm coming from a, a nomadic background where my parents were nomadic. They were moving from place to place and search for food, like wild game and the wild fruits. For you know, that's how I was raised. So I was introduced back in the bush at an early stage. So I always say to people that maybe I saw animal for my first time while I was on my back of my mother. Yeah. Or even in the womb of my mother. Yeah. <laughs> and Kay, for you, the same? Yes, it is the same. You know, we grew up knowing that we, we live with animals. You know, you uh, that, that thing whereby you see an animal for the first time and it doesn't seem like it's for the first time. It seems like you've been seeing it since you were born. So it wasn't, seeing an animal wasn't like a new thing. So we grew up with, just as you will live with cattle. Mm -hmm. So that's how, how it was. And the, how does that translate through to now you you are in tourism, you're interacting, both of you, you Kay, through your bookings with people inquiring about safaris in Botswana and Kani once they're out here. How does that translate through to then you're now interacting with people who are saying to you, I really, really want to see whatever X, Y, Z. They're putting the checklist of the ideal wildlife that they want to see on their safari. Are you able to um, imagine what it's like for that person who's never seen a lion? You know, people are coming from different areas. They're coming from more developed areas where there's no wild animals. They see animals on the zoo. We are coming from an area where we live with these animals. You know, we live with the animals. We even have family members who have been attacked or even killed by these animals. But we don't see it as like a disadvantage that we even we live with animals who get killed. No, it's a lifestyle. No, it's like if we live in city, you're more likely to be hit by a car. Mm -hmm. So, but I, when we see people arriving here and they say, I want to see lion or I've never seen an, an elephant it's like wow it, it, to me it becomes like a privilege wow the kind of life we're living mm -hmm. just imagine this so called billionaire he says he's never seen a zebra well no zebras everywhere here and we take that person into the bush and the first time he sees that zebra and look his facial expression it's like wow no. Well, that's the addiction of being in tourism, isn't it? I mean, that's why we do what we do, right? Yeah. It's for that moment of that that exact moment you've just described, yeah. that, that seeing somebody have that wow moment is what makes us all want to stay here and keep creating these these experiences. In terms of uh, your childhoods, Connie, you made it sound, you make it sound like you're good, and I know you're naughty, <laughs> <laughs> and I know that you you know you've even called your your company Connie Adventure Safaris. You are a man of true adventure. So can you tell us a few of the stories of what you used to get up to as a boy? Because I know that there are stories out there. <laughs> you know, I was a wild child, pure wild child. Of course, naughty. We did some crazy stuff. For us, for us to go to play, we have to go out in the bush. For us to play, we have to do play with dangerous things. We have to play with snakes. We have to play with scorpions. We had the funny thing we had. We used to have a scorpion fight. So we have to go out in the bush and you dig out scorpions and you have to look for the dangerous ones. We call them parabutas. So the aggressive and poisonous scorpions, and you make scorpions fight. Or we go and collect dumb beetles, and dumb beetles fight. So we played all those games, and we sneak out when our parents are going for big, dangerous game hunting. You know, we do spear hunting and bow and arrow hunting, mm -hmm. not to gun. So we sneak behind them. We want to join on that hunt, and the, our parents know how dangerous it is to have us on the hunt. They want to keep us away. But we follow, we sneak behind, and they're not seeing us 20 kilometers afterwards, they saw us appear, and then they're going to chase us. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up on those kind of uh, lifestyle, and uh, we played the other dangerous game I've played, played uh, with hippos. I played that game until I was in high school. <laughs> that was the last time I stopped playing with hippos. I'm not encouraging people to play, don't try this thing. What we did is, you know, at our village, we were, our village was not just next on the edge of the Govango. So normally you can see hippos coming out in the evening, in the graze. So what we would do is we would sneak out and stalk the hippos. 
you get some lumps of soil or like break from a tamad mount, make rock rocks. We throw the, the hippo, we hit the hippo until you make the hippo more aggressive and start chasing you. <laughs> so it was a very dangerous game to play. Of course, you know, if you are not smart, you will die because the hippos are very fast. But this is the kind of game that you are not relying on your speed. It's more tactical game. So before you go and play, you have to check your surroundings. You check all the dead trees, the fallen trees, the logs, the small bushes that you have to run and jump over a log and say, ah, hippo, come, come here. And the hippo <laughs> runs around and you run the other side. So we have never lost anyone. But you know what, last time, the last time when I stopped playing this game, it was, ah, it was very... Did you get a big fright? Big fright. Nearly someone died. You know? It was in Kwai, after, in during high school. I was in Mount Sinai Center School. Uh, during those Easter holidays, we can't go to Gudugwa to Slack long way, three days from here to go mm. to Gudigwa and so I had relatives in Kwai village. So we all decided Gudigwa boys, let's go to Kwai, you know, we have relatives there. So we went to Kwai. And in Kwai he was there in the evening. They are all around in the village and we got very excited. Like, <laughs> Playing with, <all> my, <laughs> with my four friends. And this time you know we haven't played this game for a long time because we were stuck at school. Now we jumped into the game without reassessing our area very well, we made a big mistake. And these hippos are more used to people than quiet. So we started hitting the hippos, we hitting the hippos, and the hippos were not like chasing us, and they started walking. And they drove us a little bit far away from the village and started chasing. It came for us full speed. And I didn't have more uh, options to run through. And this hippo pushed me into a shallow puddle of water. So that's the only way I can have to go through. And it pushed me and I had to run through the water. I can feel the hippo coming behind me, the footsteps and the jaw. Like that. And I'm going full speed. And then I was going full speed and I thought, no, this thing's going to catch me soon. I have to make a plan. Now they are family sitting around the fire. And you're bringing the hippo into there. Yeah, I'm bringing the hippo to them now. I thought, no, I'm not dying alone. I'm not dying alone. I went full speed next to them. And this hippo nearly, nearly got one. I said, oh, and they shouted, the hippo stopped. Those people were not happy. I'm sure you were very unpopular. That was the last time I stopped. Okay. I played this game. From what I'm hearing from that is that that was like, what a grounding to be a safari guide. I mean, if you're going to be a great guide, you've got to be aware of your surroundings and experiences like that were teaching you that from as you say almost from the womb definitely you have to know your surroundings you have to know uh, the speed of the animals how fast that animal can run mm. and uh, you know you have to rely on the surrounding like you're saying you know? if an animal is charging for example a buffalo charging i've read these books i know everyone is reading whatever when animal charges don't run just stand still my friend if a buffalo charging and you stand still out in the open, you're going to... You're going to be on those horns. Yeah, no, you're going to be thrown away two meters you know, from that point. So rather use a timer mount or a fallen tree just to reduce the charge of the animal. So it's a very important lesson we've learned. They didn't encourage, our parents didn't like us to do because sometimes it doesn't end well. Mm-hmm. So, but it's a good lesson. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And as you, I mean, basically you grew up almost guiding. I mean, you were in the bush, you were surrounded by wildlife, and what you do now is not that different from what you were doing when you were a child. Yeah, definitely. We swam across channels, you know, went for fishing, we spent the whole day out there, you know, come back in the evening, we do lots of tracking, you know, we do like spear hunting, war dogs, like bone arrow hunting, fishing, we do certain traps for guinea fowls, so and spare fowls, all that we did, you know, even to support the family. We were digging out wild fruits, all that, you know, we were collecting honey. You know, I went two boys, I remember my, my best moment, it was with my brother. And we went out to collect honey. This aggressive bee hive. So we found uh, one, there's some which, you know, you don't have to chop. Uh, you just have to collect them. They just you see the the, the cop outside, mm-hmm. and my brother, my younger brother, got very excited. Oh, I'm going to get there. I was standing there. Watch out, my friend. <laughs> he went in, and the, all the bees came for him. And he was up on the tree. 
And he wanted to drop like that was like four or five meters up. And so he just I dropped out. And I dropped. I said, no, 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 keep coming, keep coming. You know, like, we were like following him. So all this experience, it was like a mm. love moment we had. It's mm. good. Mm. And you bring that energy into your safaris now. I mean, you, you've called your, your company Adventure Safaris. I know from having worked with you in the past um, that that energy that, you know, for all these adventures that you had as a kid is still, what you still bring into your experiences now. It's just behind the wheel of a car and it might be tracking wild dogs instead of having hippos chase you through quiet village in the dark. <laughs> the best lessons I've ever had, you know, the best lessons I've ever had been taught by professionals. My parents, you know, my uncles, everyone was there to help teach us. So we had raw uh, training. So at least, uh, yeah, of course I've been to school and uh, learned the scientific information, but the braveness, the tracking skills, advanced tracking, able to read, you know, how long ago this animal has passed. So those those information I got from my parents. It's mm-hmm. like, so I really love them. And the brain, if something's charging, and you stand there and right, make the right decision. So for me, being out in the bush is a lifestyle. It's an adventure. That's why I call my company, our company, Ghana Adventure Safaris, it's because it's, it's not a typical safari where you just go, oh, there's a lion. It's more about everything, tracking, listening, you know, calling animals, living with them. If anything happens, if there's, there's a challenge, you have to stop. You have to find a way of stopping that animal. Living with that's the most important thing about the living out in the bush. You know, so if I can live, if there's a test or anything to happen, someone throw me into the bush for like a year, I will leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will leave. That's great to have that resource. I mean, that's something all of us have been pushed to our to test our resilience. And um, as you say, a childhood like yours has taught you to live with your hands and feet. You don't need much more than that, which is really amazing. And I think the rest of us have all learnt how much we rely on other stuff through the last year and have tried to make ourselves more resilient and more like you. But um, that's really awesome. Um, So, Connie, you and I have worked together in the past on a project with the next generation, or maybe a few generations (laughs) later, um, of the the current kids of Gadigwa community and um, working with conservation education programs with them. Why do you think conservation education programs for those kids are so important? You know, coming from a, a Bushman family uh, or culture, and you can see, I, I believe in all the cultures, are, those are happening. There's a change in every culture. That old generation, the raw experience, the raw knowledge is finishing, diminishing now. So I think this is our time to give back to those people, those youngsters, teach them. So what we have learned from our uh, parents. And uh, because if we don't do that, all the stories are on the fire, you know. The legacy of knowledge. Yes. I can see even some of the sand, I'm not even speaking the the language. Mm. I see some of the Hambugushis and their kids are not speaking the language. Mm. So we have to maintain this, we have to educate, we have to go back to our culture and train them. Yeah, because that that cultural heritage, it's a resource. And I spoke to Bonti um, in episode three, I think it was, about cultural tourism and you know, at this point in time, it's it's an untapped resource in Botswana in terms of we talk about the wildlife and people come to Botswana for the wildlife. Mm. But there's this huge cultural richness that we're not using to its fullest potential in terms of its expo- its tourism potential or its in terms of embracing it and, and highlighting it. And whilst we're not using it, we're actually losing it. And this is the thing, it's exactly that. How do you, you know, make, highlight cultural traditions before they are lost? So one of the things that I found very interesting when we were doing that program was this idea of children from Gudegwa, children who are like you were, being told that that knowledge of how to find a scorpion or harvest honey from a beehive doesn't count because their book knowledge or their school knowledge is not up to par. Um, And for me, that was one of the very important parts of that program was that it was highlighting to these kids, even if only for a week, they were being told, you're amazing because you know this stuff. 
when you were at school, I don't know, but when you were at school, were you made to feel like your bush knowledge didn't count? Or do you, do you think that's something that's changed over time as, as, as Botswana has become a more modern country? Yeah, it's true. I feel the same. You know, the, our bush knowledge did not count at school. No, we have to even to learn those subjects in different languages. Yeah. You know, uh, we were taught Sichuana at school, which is different language. We were taught English at school. We have to learn two extra languages. And then you get tested. Yes, we tested on those languages, not yeah. even our mother language. And you're not taught your, yes. your, let's say, for example, your maths yes. was then taught in a second or third language. Yes. It wasn't taught in your home language. No. So that's the thing, you know, we had... Not like today, I speak four languages, and but we learned Sichuan. Everything was taught in school in Sichuan and in, in, in English. They didn't teach anything about wild mm. experiences, either with animals or either trekking. They didn't even touch that. You know, when I met you, you were calling yourself Connie the Bushman, and I think it's fantastic. It's saying this is what I'm proud of. This is my heritage, and and it's something to celebrate. And I think that I'm. I'm just encourage as many people who can to highlight their their, their culture and, and, and heritage and celebrate it. So, Kay, you are Ambukushu. Yes, I am. You obviously grew up around the corner from Kani, but you are way too sophisticated and um, gentle to have got up to the same kind of trouble <laughs> as him. <laughs> what kind of things were you getting up to as a kid? Uh, like I mentioned... I grew up as a very humble child, mm-hmm. so I did I did not go into doing so naughty stuff. Of course, we did, uh, you know, fishing. When we did fishing, it involved that risk of having mm-hmm. to face the hippos, the and crocodiles. Being and, out on a mokoro. Yes, mm-hmm. and being in a mokoro where we, 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 even, we were learning how to swim by then. We did those kind of things without the knowledge like him of knowing if this happens, if I get a, a crocodile attack, what am I going to do? Of course, that sometimes comes naturally. You just act and you mm-hmm. win. So with us, we got into those situations without having the tactics of being able to stand the situations that we were, we were, go, we were going to get while fishing. Otherwise, we did not... We did not get very uh, involved in in so dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. Of course, we did walk long distances, going to collect reeds in the in the middle of the delta, maybe. Well, I was going to say that I think you know it's all relative. <laughs> You're comparing yourself to Carney, <laughs> but I think if you compare yourself to somebody who grew up in a city. There was still a lot of wildlife risk around oh, you. Oh, yeah, you know? I, I mean, you... I see that. <laughs> yeah, we there did... were elephants around your village all the time. Yes, we did a uh, walk to collect reeds, and we would encounter charging elephants, where sometimes we got chased. Hmm. So yeah, part of it we did live a dangerous in in dangerous situations, but we managed to yeah to get through it. Mm-hmm. Yes, and then. Hunutsuka and Gudigwa are not that far apart. Uh, did you know each other when you were kids? Uh, no, we didn't. We didn't. He, when we were growing up, you know, there was this thing that we, we just stayed with our people and the Mbukushu people, where we would communicate and hear each other. We, we grew up knowing that the Bushmen just speak uh, sin which only them and the other very close people staying with next to them, such as people in Beta, could mm-hmm. hear them. We never had anything. Okay. So we, we kept a distance. We kept our distance. I didn't know him. I, did, I only got to know people from Gudiba when we, we went to junior school. That's where we got to meet them. They, we, we came into the same school. Otherwise, we did our lower primary in Gonotsuha, and there was... So that would be in Saronga, right? Uh, yes, junior school was in Saronga, yes. Uh, during the, 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 the lower primary, it was just uh, our, the people in Gonotsuha. Mm-hmm. We didn't have much of those coming from other villages to come school in our village. So we didn't know anything about the Bushmen. 
And that's changed now, right? It's a little bit more integrated it between is. the communities. I know from when our time in Kudigwa, there were Hambukushu in Kudigwa. This is a terrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It's now. I do not believe you. <laughs> yeah, we get we get all the people, all the people around the five villages on the on the edge of the the Delta. We now mixed up. We 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 inter um, we interrelate. People from Gudigwe can go to Gunutsoga. They stay. They even have relatives in well, there. Look at the two of you. I mean, I'm sure if Connie's brother pitched up in Gunutsoga, your family would say, "Fine, you oh, can yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good history to tell about this Mugushu Bushman relationship before. You know, there was a big hate. They, they didn't like each other. The the Bushman thought they were superior, and uh, Mbukushi also thought they were superior in other way. And uh, our, our our ancestors, they really hated Bushmen. I don't believe like sitting next to a, a Bushman, I mean, Mbukushi, a lady, and like I've married her. I had an uncle. <laughs> we are not, even today, our parents, they don't encourage us to talk about that. We had an uncle who was very wild, and he hated Mugushu, and he's, he has killed, definitely he has killed lots of Mugushus, I think from Bunutsuha and Betsa. And, yeah. Wow. He used to travel from Budigwa through to Namibia, through Caprivi Strip. And this guy, he hated Mugushu that he trapped them, and he speared them. Wow. With a spear. He speared them. So, even today, the the hate, the sin. That family still, the the family of the people whom he killed, they are still alive. Mm-hmm. They're still alive. And if they know that you are related to that guy, he's called Terentere, our uncle. They, they will hate you, but you know it's a, it's a history. It's a history. Now look, I'm married to Mbukushu. So I mean, one of my best days of living in Botswana was your wedding. And so that was a really monumentous occasion. I had no idea that this was, you know, a good digwa boy marrying a, a Honotsoka girl and, uh, you know, Hambukushu and Masarwa. Yes, it was kind of history. It, this thing was, was never as common as it is now. It was for, for a Masarwa to, to marry Mbukushu was, was a thing, a special yeah. thing. And... We bring yeah, like we bring two cultures, two together, cultures yeah. together, and people have now started embracing it. And that's and amazing. recently, I've seen lots of good guys in Kunetsuka. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kani, we know you are a mentor to your community, so they're seeing you and they're like, "We look at that guy. He <laughs> look at my brother, my own brother. He has a girlfriend in Kunetsuka." <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then in terms of raising your daughter, how do you, I mean, how do you bring this conversation about this? She loves uh, both cultures. You know, she would tell I'm a Mugushu, I'm half Mugushu, I'm half uh, sand. And uh, we try to send uh, once, I mean, every holiday maybe mm-hmm. to go to one village so she can learn the languages while she's still young. You know, like last holiday she went to Kunatsuha. And the previous one she went to Guduga. And this one, she already think of going to Kudigwa. Mm-hmm. So she can interact with different family members and she can learn the language. So I think she's loving it. That's great. Yeah. And then you think about how the, your uncle's generation and that horrific story mm-hmm. through to your your daughter and how in a few generations you can create unity and somebody who can straddle both both cultures like that. That's really interesting. So if you didn't meet growing up, how did you meet? Uh-huh. Uh, we met in in a camp in the Delta called Abu Abu Camp. There was this group of VIPs that that were coming into Abu Camp, and Wilderness Safaris was looking for uh, people to go service them. So Kani was the guide there, and I was the wait. I was one of the waiters, the waitresses. So we got there, and I'm seeing this. Bushman, you could tell he's a bushman <laughs> just by looking. Yeah, then he 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 was asking me where I'm coming from. I told him, and he couldn't believe I'm coming from the same area he's, he's coming from. We were there, and yeah, we almost got 
uh, became friends, but it couldn't it couldn't materialize. He spent, I think he spent two weeks, two weeks there while I spent more time. Mm-hmm. So he left, he left camp and I stayed. We, uh, we didn't get con- into contact then until I think months later. Yes. Yeah. When I flew into, ta- into town, that's when he got hold of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he was talking about those tracking skills earlier, huh? It's just a bit like catching a guinea falcon. You build the trap slowly. You yeah. just wait. <laughs> you know one thing about me: if I want something, I'll get it. <laughs> so, what did you think when you first met this beautiful woman, and she told you she was from around the corner? You know, yes, I was. Uh, Abu and Abu were both there. Uh, I was called to guide. So I saw this beautiful girl. Yeah, I said, process, and process, no, where are you from? Said, I'm from Gunutsuha, what, what, no? So I went to Suranga, to Ngambao, community junior senior school, then afterwards I went to Mount Sinai senior school. Same schools as me, I've been through that, those schools, and she knew because of my family members, she's been you know, my cousins, my nephews and nieces, she knows them. Okay, wow. And I looked at her, you know, she's beautiful. She was a beautiful girl, such a beautiful girl in camp. And all the boys, like, they were after her. All I'm boys, sure. <laughs> they were after her, and I'm thinking, wow, what should I do to win? So I finished the trip back in Mount. I keep trying her number. I don't know where she stays in Mount. For me, is to keep trying. Maybe one day I'll be lucky. Maybe the number's going to ring. Every time I call, number's not available. The number's not available. But And one day, it was such a surprise. <laughs> <Right>. and, and, <laughs> wow! And, like, I celebrated. I said, where are you? Home. I've been waiting for like a month, so this time I'm not going to lose. And then, so after that, you, Kay, you were studying at the time when you met, right? It was the last year of my study. And Connie, you carried on guiding, and eventually, through you gained your experience, and then you decided to start a business together. What led you to deciding that it, that you wanted to to own a business and that you wanted to own this business? What made you think that Safari Embassy was the way to go? We had uh, one thing we have accumulated a lot of experience in the safari industry. You know, just coming from our backgrounds, you know, the history where we're coming from, we had a lot of experience. I already living out in the bush, you know, meeting the animals, living with animals. Now we work for a very good, one of the best safari companies in Botswana. They taught us very well. You know, I started as a camp manager. I trained as a camp manager. I managed the different, different levels of camps in Botswana. Then afterwards, I became a guide. So then I became a, a super good guide in Botswana. So with all that, then working with different people, my guiding experience, my management experience, all that, we thought, no, we can do something. And she brought yeah, admin, admin skills, you know, she trained, reservations, all that. We linked the three, and with our personality, and we thought we can do something unique, what made us to stop. But out of all these experiences, we also wanted to do something big for our people. You know, we were coming from an extended family where, you know, you have to support each other. So we wanted to continue that good, uh, the caring uh, heart of looking after other people as well, as, lo- as long as we're looking after ourselves. Mm-hmm. Then we wanted to have a company that also cares about nature. You know, you, you, if you were feeding from, looked after by nature, and we still now be looked after by nature, we want to give back to nature as well, you know, by either doing some good programs by educating the youth so that they can continue looking after nature. Well, I mean, it sounds like you grew up so closely connected to the wild, the wilderness and wildlife Mm -hmm. and and that nature that, I mean, that makes total sense that you feel that connection and and, and want to keep that going. So does that represent itself in terms of conservation and, as you said, you said education, uh, that kind of thing? I'm a true conservation person at heart. I love nature. For me, like working out in the bush is not a job. It's like a true lifestyle. So I wanted to do something. We wanted to start something which is unique. So someone would love it. It's more adventurous. It's more sometimes more you care about nature. You care about your people who are living with nature. You're giving them back to them. Uh, I remember being at school. And after maybe been to school, 
then I have to go. I think I was thinking of going to university, but I didn't have relatives. I didn't have someone whom I know in Haburoni on the cities. I felt shy, you know. So for me to go look for sponsorship there. So that kind of feeling is still happening now mm. of the, the, those kids. No, we are from rural areas. Even to get into a bus to go to the city mm -hmm. and you don't know where you're going to arrive is such yeah, a, a challenge. Scary, yeah. So yeah. we want to relieve these kids. But we want, if once our company is grown up, we want to see ourselves doing sponsorships mm -hmm. of these kids, helping out them. Yes, and it creates more ambassadors for your communities, just yes. like the two of you are currently ambassadors yes. for your communities. I remember we were we were sitting and discussing about what we want to achieve out of coming up with our own companies. The main the main aim was, as he was saying, growing up. Even me, for me to get to university was such a was such a so against the odds, right? It is. And the odds were not in your favor. Not, not at all. So I had such a small chance that it small, happened. So it's, yes. a, it's almost like a miracle. It is. It was. It was. And I, I, I got lucky that I knew some people who were in the city by then. So I made connections. They, we were, we were talking, and they, they were able to find out what's available that I can do. So. I got that. And I was imagining somebody who didn't have any relative or anybody they know. At the moment, we still have students who have, uh, who have their Cambridge certificates. They are sitting at home. They are doing nothing. Mm. Yes. And we, we want to see ourselves changing the situations. We want to have students who would uh, see through our engagement that it's possible to, for you to come from a rural area such as Kunotzoka, Gudigwa, Seronga, Beta, and go to university either in Haboroni, in Cape Town. Yeah, and breaking that idea that I'm from here and therefore this is all I can do mm -hmm. and creating that. Because as you say, it's just about making the gap. Mm -hmm. This is possible. Yes. And, it is. and then people will believe more, they'll take their studies more seriously mm -hmm. because it actually can take them somewhere. Yes. But what would you say to somebody who wants to sort of follow behind your footsteps that they they grew up surrounded by wildlife like you and they're passionate about being in the bush and, they, and they're leaving school now? What would you say to somebody like that in terms of how to be successful in the industry? One, you have to love nature. If you want to do something, you have to like it or love it. Mm -hmm. Do it to your, to your fullest. You don't have to do it for the sake of a job that you may get the money out of it. I've seen a lot of guys fail or a lot of guys go to trouble. It's a very dangerous uh, area. If you think I'm going to make a lot of money and you're driving yourself into a wrong uh, job, no? because you can make someone die quickly. You have to have love of what you're doing and also respect of out of all the connection. If you have the connection, the respect of nature, then you are on the right trip. And do your best, study, get yourself involved, get yourself connected with lots of experienced people, your parents, mm -hmm. uh, the people on safari, the guides, uh, all that learn from them, then you become a, a good guide, or you become a good manager on, uh, on, on the camps, or become a good waiter. So do your best. And sometimes, you know, do, don't forget that someone is teaching you the, that knowledge. You have to do the same. Don't be selfish. You know, you have to have a caring heart, you know, that to give. So make sure that you train, you leave your footprints when you leave. So that's what I want to tell them. You, know, you leave your footprints. They have to be brave enough to step out of their comfort zones. Mm -hmm. You know, venturing into either business or joining to work for a company. It requires you to have a heart that would feel like, I want to do this. So if, if you are to go into tourism, you have to, to, to know that you can do it. You can make an impact out of, out of the choice you've made, either to have your own company or to work for a company. And that involves 
the understanding of knowing that tourism is not just about uh, about making money. Mm-hmm. We have a whole lot of an area to conserve for our kids and for our kids' children. And it's also about what Kanye was talking about earlier, that guest having that wow moment and creating that for them. If you can get joy out of that, you can thrive in this industry. But if all you're thinking about is the tip the guest's going to leave you at the end of their stay, you're not worried about creating wild moments when they get that guest. My best experience during my guiding careers, because of my experience, I was given like super class, like most experienced guest or repeat guest to guide. And one day I had information that, you know, you're going to guide uh, those guests who are coming are very difficult. So you have to be very careful, you know, they all they are complaining all the time, they're super. You know, why is all the camps are complaining about these people? And I was the last uh, uh, guide to, to, to guide them. I didn't believe that they are difficult. I think maybe the, the two are not connecting or the guests are not missing, they're missing out something. Or the guides or the camp or the service people are missing out something. I'm not, I want to understand what is exactly wrong. Because all these guys are telling me, oh, these guests are difficult, but they're not telling me what exactly wrong. I picked them at the strip, and we started talking. There were two lawyers, uh, two girls, ladies. They were both lawyers. So I, found, I wanted to find out, oh, what was the experience from that camp? And they were telling me, and they were bringing out small things. Ah, oh, it was nice, but then this was like this. It was nice. You know? But one thing they told me, which I felt, ah, these girls are not difficult, is, you know what, we want to see... We're so happy if we can see a head of heads of elephant, like a head of elephant crossing a river. You see, crossing a river with babies and different age. Okay, that would be nice. And we want to spend more time in the bush. They're telling the wrong person. Cardi <laughs> <laughs> doesn't need to be asked twice. <laughs> <laughs> you're telling a wrong person to be out in the bush. Nah, okay, girls, let's move. I said, okay, are you guys ready? I said, yes, they are ready. Call the camp, guys. Overnight, guys. Overnight. <laughs> we are not going to the camp. Go and set up. We had a, a wood hide in one of the pens. Go and set up there. We're going to spend a the night there. We went straight. There, we spent a night, the experience we had, it was unbelievable. They were wonderful ladies. I didn't see even a single problem. You know, people were misunderstanding them. Great time. We saw so many animals. They had, that was their best experience with me. And like two hours before they flew. So we were driving for them to get their bags ready. So we came across an open floodplain, like blue water. And we saw like a herd of elephants standing next to water with babies. So we saw so many elephants already. So they forgot everything they said about elephants. The elephants were drinking peacefully, quietly. We st- I packed the car. We stopped next to them. We were watching, taking a few, few pictures. And they were saying, ah, goodbye, elephant. This is wonderful. We're so sad to leave. Uh, you know what? And something happened. Those elephants, they got into a line, started crossing the river, their floodplain. It was a very long floodplain. They started crossing different ages with babies holding on their mom's tail. You know, they were crossing. Like the liquid was being put in the middle. You know, they're crossing quietly. And you can only hear water. the water yeah. through. And they were standing there watching. And these ladies forgot. And I reminded them of one thing. For, for me, I felt a connection. It, I saw something different which they didn't see. It's like those elephants came to say goodbye, of course, to us and to them, of us having a wonderful time. And they asked that from the beginning. They wanted to see elephant crossing. It's a thank you to my people, to my ancestors, you know, for that we delivered. We had a great time. Blue water, elephants, heads of elephants, not trumpeting. It's a blessing. It's a connection, it's a goodbye. I told them when those ladies started crying. I'm sure. I also cried. I also cried. It was a good experience. So the most important thing is like knowing what you're doing, giving out to your best, to your fullest, loving, enjoying, you know. So then you can make someone's life, you can change someone's life. So then if, if trying to give advice to somebody who's listening to this podcast who is a traveler and is now on the flip side 
So, you know, we've given the advice of how to successful in tourism from in the industry. But if someone's wanting to come on safari and want to be that person who's getting that moment of the elephants crossing the river or getting that moment of the bush giving back, have you got any tips for people who are traveling in terms of how to make the most out of their safari and get the most out of it? They should do their research on what they want to do and specific places or areas they want to visit. And then they should get into contact with their travel agent and they should let them know mm-hmm. the specific things they want to know. If an agent knows what what you are looking for as a traveler, they are able to arrange all those for you and on those on the ground are able to deliver. So it is important for you to state out your your interests. Your, your interests. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, you're not going to get elephants crossing a river no. in February. Yes. No. So if that's what you're coming for, don't mm-hmm. don't come when it's raining and all the elephants are in the Mapani. Oh, yeah. They're not going to have that experience. Then they're able to also advise. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're looking for an activity that doesn't happen in a certain moment, they're obviously going to advise you to either postpone or move your dates to a suitable mm-hmm. uh, period. It's like I, my, one of my most favorite things, which I discuss in the episode with James Wilson about life in the Chobe, is watching elephants cross the Chobe River. You cannot get that right through the year. It's, right. there's, it's a seasonal experience. And if you want to see that, then you've got to go at the right time of year. Otherwise, yes. you can sit in Kasani and see true. beautiful views, but you're not going to see elephants true. crossing. Very true. And then, Kani, from a from a guest guide perspective, is there... Is there any sort of advice you would give to guests in terms of exactly what you described, letting the wilderness unfold around them or make the most of their safari experience once they've gone through the process case described and they're here? You know, one thing I've recently learned is in the past, you know, I was guiding just to show guests animals and that, whatever they wanted. But I'm back to the roots where, you know, I want to give you the unique experience for us to communicate with nature. For, for you to communicate nature or do you want nature to have, to do things for you, you have the full connection and respect. I want someone to believe on me, you know, when I'm doing when I'm doing my job, to believe on me. Then you see things which like miracles. So come, respect. I'll give you the respect. We both respect nature. I know you want to see a kill. If you have the right connection, you can activate the behavior of those animals to do something for you. So I want to say that don't come with one set of things you want to see. Let the nature perform for you. Bring an open mind. Yes. Let the nature perform for you. You know, I'm going into an old traditional way of uh, going out in the bush. I remember my father was telling me, like he was a fortune teller. You want things to happen. If you want to be successful, things to happen for you. I know that my company will be successful with the energy I'm sending. I go to a camp where things will not happen, and when I get there, things will happen because the energy I'm sending. When I go to the bush, I pray. Pray not like, God, give me whatever. No, I pray to my ancestors. Let nature do miracles. I'm out there. Make nature. I want to communicate with nature. When the lion roars, I can exactly mean what that lion is saying. So those are the kind of connections we want. Mm-hmm. You know, caring, be out there, enjoying it, let things happen, and seen things to happen for you. I like that, let things happen. Yes. I think that, you know, and, and I, I understand for so much, for so many people, uh, yes. control, whether it's real or perceived control, is their thing. Every day they're in control and landing in Mound and going through passport control and immigration and getting on a little plane and flying off into the Delta. It's not easy for people to drop that control. But if you do and you trust, as you say, and respect the guide giving you this experience and you open your heart to what nature will provide, it will provide. This given, I had the most difficult time of guiding some guests. They were in Africa so many times. They know all the camps. They know all the best guides. But they haven't met Connie. They haven't met Connie. <laughs> and I can hear them at the back, talking, talking. You know, things are not happening. I can see there's no tracks. No tracks. And we want to find lions, nothing. We want to find leopards, nothing. No tracks. Things are not there. We see a few elephants there and there. 
it's the energy that I said I can feel something hitting up at the back. And this guy started judging me. Uh, you know what? Two days I was trying to find for me to work, I need to find tracks. I want to hear signs. You know, even either alarm calls, you know, either birds calling or Jennifer's, whatever, or palace, or nothing. It was quiet. I felt like something there's something wrong here. But now I want to correct these guys. I want to clear up that negative energy. What should I do? I pulled aside. I'm brave. I have the heart. If you want to hear from me, I can tell you. I will tell Well, you. after hippos chase you through <laughs> quiet village in the dark. Yes. <laughs> What's to guess? Yeah. <laughs> so I thought I would tell them, not that I'm arrogant or I'm aggressive. No, I'm doing the best for you. It's your holiday. I want to give back to you. This is for you, not for me. I've seen animals. I've seen killed so many times. It's not more about me. It's about you. I'm helping you. I pulled them and said, come on, guys. There's a problem here. We need to clear this thing. I know you've been to Africa so many times. But for me, I'm a sand bushman. I work with ancestors. And my ancestors, they don't play games eh? when I'm out in the bush. If you are terrible, if you start judging, they will block for me to perform. So I work with from a gift. That part is missing because I, res- I feel there's something which is lacking between us. There's no connection. Let's get out and do a, a ceremony. So ceremony, we came out, out of the vehicle, we called our ancestors. Both, they were calling the ancestors, I was calling my ancestor with our own language. We had grass together, and we, after calling our ancestor, we started. And I can feel I became life again. Things started happening, you know. Lion tracks started showing. Leopard tracks, we started singing leopards. And so these are the things I want to give back to tell people that, you know what? With me, is love, connection, respect. Let's go out and see what the bush is going to provide. But I'm sure you'll also find if you were to, to meet them again, they probably would say that that ceremony mm-hmm. was one of the most memorable things, almost more memorable than the lions yeah. and the buffalo, because yeah. that's it. People are not visiting wildlife. They're visiting a country and they're visiting mm-hmm. a people. And um, trying to create that connection with the people really is also part of what visiting Botswana is about. Yeah, I've seen I've seen guests on the safaris that I've joined with him. I've seen guests crying after doing the ceremony. So it's it's part it's an experience on its own. Mm. No, I mean, and then and then I mean, Connie, your energy um, for and your passion for the bush comes through. So I'm sure being on a safari with you is an absolute privilege for anybody. And um, and I think that you know this is it. Let's and I suppose that's also the advice to give people who are in the industry, Botswana, working in the industry. Share your passion. You know, be passionate. Listen to how you speak about what you do, and, and bring that because that's where the wow moments are. Well, I think that you guys deserve every success. You have got absolute um, power couple um, status in my mind, and you guys really are um, a great example. Of what it's of what Thank it's about. You. All right, so you ready for your snapshot session? Yes. Okay. The first question: What is your most precious or valued piece of safari equipment, and why? Okay, I'll go first. I love our tents. Uh, our tents might look similar to all those others, but the interior of it, you, know, we've taken time to think about it. We have a, a, a large mat that covers the whole the whole tent. Guests can just walk around barefooted on it. We take care of our mats. We use a normal base bed. Not one of the stretchers. Yeah, remember this is a mobile safari. We use uh, a normal base bed with linen that is quality, quality linen. We have uh, water bottles, very, I'll say very uh, classy water bottles. We use glasses. The same as those you would find in in camps. So we've taken time to look at our our equipment. So it's attention to detail. Yes, yeah. into detail, and the condiments are uh, the same as those you would find we in the world. So not not like how I go camping. <laughs> no, <laughs> we've had the uh, guests from coming from other mobiles or even camps. And they can't believe when they walk into the camp. Every time it's yeah. wow, this is like a, it's a lodge, it's a memo lodge. So that's the difference between. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You're operating in that level of sound. That's yeah, awesome. It's fantastic. Connie, what's your answer? I'm a boy, so I like my toys. 
<laughs> so what's the biggest of them? What's the biggest, biggest toy? Biggest game drive vehicle, my Land Cruiser. Uh-huh. My mission. My Land Cruiser, because I am a guide, I want to give the experience. I don't have, I don't want to break down, I don't want issues on game drive. If I plan my game drives, I'm going to drive to maybe Third Bridge, or I'm going to go to South Bridge or to Central Kalahar. I, I don't want to think about or have a breakdown on the way. Mm-hmm. So my Land Cruiser is on top. Because well, I can care of. Yes, because I do the service. Before safaris, I want to make sure that it's well, well maintained. I have enough spare wheels. So that if I have a breakdown, like a, a puncture, I have another spare wheel right there. So mm-hmm. I carry two spare wheels. I have a radio system that works. So I can communicate with the other guys. I have a fridge. Then also like, works. Yeah, that works. <laughs> so the guests can have cold beer, cold drinks, cold water on the way. So first aid kit, I have a full equipped vehicle and the seats are nice. That's what I want. I really like your response, Kani. And and okay, both of yours. I've asked this question now to eight, nine people, and nobody, although I say that, I say nobody, but actually Claire Doolin in the previous episode, she also talked about her vehicle. And that's a very valid point. You can't go on safari without some mode of transport, and it better be reliable because you're going to be in the middle of nowhere and need it to be reliable. No, I have been on safaris with, for other companies differently with the kind of vehicle. You, you start worrying as a guide. Before even thinking, when you close the door, you make sure that you close nicely. When you step on the, like a, a brake, whatever, you make sure that you you put you apply the brake very slowly so that all those noises you didn't get you didn't hear. I don't want to worry about this thing. For me, I am a like a hyper guide. I want to give the experience. You don't so, want to be tiptoeing around the car. Yes. <laughs> so I want the whole machine to work. I don't want something to stop my experience to, yeah. for me giving out the experience. I want everything to work. Spotlight on my vehicle. Yeah, Good yeah. radio systems. I have a breakdown. Talk. I set phone. If yeah. there's a problem, I'm getting hold of. If my guests are sick, sick if hit by something, face that box, I can wrap up him immediately there and start going. Yeah. So Fantastic. Yeah. Which one destination would you recommend a first-time visitor visits in Botswana? Ah. ah, you see, this is your professional <laughs> input here, okay? Obviously, Marimi Game Reserve. There you, as a first-time visitor, you will be able to uh, to do about more than three or four activities in one trip. Mm-hmm. So that will be a must go. Okay. Yes. Fantastic. And what's your answer, Kani? Marimi as well, because I know other people are thinking of Vango Delta. We are doing a mobile safari. No mobile safari. If you the guest booking to go into the lodges, of course, no, then we can book the lodges in the Delta. Then we talk about concessions. Mm-hmm. But for us, Muremi, which is half of Muremi is is the Delta, Delta. Mm-hmm. and the other side the woodland. So it it has different habitats. You no, know, it has all the species you can think about, all the big five you can think about. It has, you can do all your water activities, boating. You can do fishing. If you like birds, you know, bird viewing is, is, is wonderful there. So Muremi is perfect and it's not far away. Yeah. So if you arrive in late here in international flight, mm-hmm. 10 minutes, 15 minutes will be on there. Yeah, fantastic. And as you say, it's an ac- it's open access to the Okavango rather than being in a private concession. Yes. Which one resource you think everybody coming to Botswana should know about? I would love to talk about our diamonds. Mm-hmm. To anyone coming to Botswana, you know Botswana has diamonds, the finest diamonds we'll think of. I would love everyone, if possible, to to go out with a piece. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Okay. I'd like one for myself, please. Kani, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you got something to add to that? Culture. One? Eh? We have a lovely culture. Most special the Ogovango side from Mount. Mm-hmm. In Mount, we're sitting over like fifteen different tribes. You know, you've gone to the Delta around, along the Panhandle, there's like so many different cultures you can go and experience. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very raw. Both of these are very untapped resources that you've yes. both mentioned. I mean, both of these are things that are hard for people, or people just don't really know about or think about um, before they come here. Um, in episode three, I interviewed Bonti and we talked about expanding cultural experiences in Botswana. 
So thanks for mentioning that one because yeah. I, I clearly need to do an episode on diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next one, top sundowner destination or drink or piece of advice to have a great sunset or sundowner? I prefer an open an open landscape mm-hmm. where you can see the sun setting, that ball sitting on like a plate, you know, or or uh, just beneath the river mm-hmm. where you can s- see the sun reflecting in the waters, having the gin and tonic and, yeah, and just a, a rewinding of the, the day experience. Mm-hmm. So that would be awesome. Yeah, fantastic. And there's lots there's lots of water and lots of open spaces mm-hmm. in Botswana. Oh, yeah. The salt pens. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. They do offer one of the the best uh the best views of the yeah. sunset. So interestingly enough, I think the salt pans have come up in every single episode. So clearly everybody needs to understand, everyone listening to this needs to understand the salt pans are like Botswana's hidden mm-hmm. secret other than the diamonds. <laughs> and culture. Yeah. No, 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 no people visit the Makari Kari. And Connie, what would you say? Uh, we discussed about this before. I, you know, to be honest, I am not a sundowner fan. Okay. In my guiding career. Because one that makes me not to like sundowners is because I'm more into the experience, wildlife experience, and more about what happened out there. And so, now you're stopping. <laughs> so now, because of this tradition yeah. of that, we have to have sundown at 5.30, and there's lion on top of a buffalo, and there's a big battle all going on. We have to stop for that. <laughs> yeah, we can have that on the, at the camp, or even on the vehicle. My best sundown is like pouring, when actions happen, I'm pouring sundown on the vehicle, giving to them. But other than that, I will tell you the best, if I have to choose my kind of sundown is a big herd of even elephants or buffalo on the field, you know. Can you get stop, some dust? The, the no. dust and we stop in having the sundown. Or we are stopping on the edge of a, a flat plain, the sun is setting big palm trees, you know, the sun is setting there, or in big, like she's saying, short pants, you know, fast open plains with uh, maybe an old uh, dead tree standing there. So the, I choose those kind of sundowners sun, sun if mm-hmm. they guess one. But mostly it must be game. We, at Sundown House, I want someone, we to watch something. An extra. The action doesn't stop. The action doesn't stop yeah. with me. The action has to continue. Then we can have sun done. It's same as the lunch spot. If I have to choose, if I'm driving around and I think today on my way to Moremi or to Savuti, we're going to stop for a lunch. I'm already thinking, where would be that best spot? Then I found a spot. Lunch with something. Mm-hmm. An extra experience. Fantastic. So, um, this is happening a little bit more now because we've um, we're not locked down anymore. But if you are going to take a weekend to go and explore locally, where are you going to? Um, someone who has been to all over Botswana, like me and like my wife. Of, we have done a couple of trips to Moreni. It's easy, you know, driving two hours. You are at the gate in the middle of the park. Two hours. Naipen. It's not very easy to drive, you know, it's on tar road, then you do take a turn off, you are at Naipan. Central Kalahari, or very easy for the locals here, you jump on a boat. Yeah. You know, you then you cruise, you are like 30 minutes in the heart of the Delta. You know, we are really very lucky to be here in Maun. You know, we are so lucky. That's why you see all these Haburundi people are rushing here. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we're very close to almost everything that we offer. Yeah. So, yeah, or oh, even I, I love Savute. I, I don't know uh, if there's somebody who would resist Savute. Yeah, or oh, the price there, the landscape. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate yeah. enough to see this year in Nsoti. So I was I felt very great, very, mm-hmm. very fortunate. Yeah, so if we can, 2021 started for me in Savute. A weekend out there in Savute would be so great. I'm imagining now with the, all this rain, mm-hmm. Central Kalahari, the quietness might be roaring, the lions are roaring now. You know, it's very quiet. And if you go there, there's almost no one. You know, it might be you on the entire park. So, and those big skies, those dramatic yeah. 
Sporadic counts mm. are fantastic. You see, now that makes me want to pack my car tomorrow and head out and forget about work. <laughs> As you say, there's all this amazing stuff to experience. Or oh, maybe we'll go to three other caves. Yeah. But please, um, I'm telling you, that place is another level. You go in and you see all those rocks inside. You know what you call the angel, whatever rocks. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's like you are in a different world. I've got so many um, sort of more introductory podcast um, episodes I have to get in. For example, I haven't even had an episode talking about Marami Game Reserve. So there's a lot that I do have to just do of the sort of covering basics. And clearly I need a Makhari Khari Pans episode because <laughs> <laughs> it comes up in every one. Mm. But as soon as I've sort of got the, the more well-known destinations um, done, then definitely Kui mm. Harbour conversation. Is, is, I think Simon Byron in the first episode even talked about the caves because yes. um, he's also been out there. Thank you so much to both of you for joining me today. I, um, I really appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you. And um, I hope it's not too long until we get to be out in the bush together again. Yeah, we'll soon be there. <laughs> we'll soon be out there. <laughs> That was Kani and Kay Motswana of Safari Embassy and Kani Adventure Safaris, sharing their experiences growing up on the edge of the Yakubanga Delta, their lovely love story. Thank you for uh, listening to this episode and to everybody who gave me such great feedback after episode nine and my long hiatus. I really, really appreciate it. If you are out there listening, please subscribe or leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really makes a difference um, to my growth. So I really appreciate that. I feel very chuffed that I've managed to get a second episode out uh, so quickly after the last one and that I'm back in my groove in terms of recording episodes. And I do apologize about the sound quality in this episode. We had um, a fair amount of background noise. But thank you so much for joining me on this next step on this journey. Till next time.